Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast. Imagine this. You have a six-figure salary, but you're miserable at work. What would you do? Well, if you're Bevy Smith, you would risk it all. She gave it up, all of it, the riches, all of the perks. For years, she wondered if she had made the right choice. Well, it turned out she did. It's Bevy, baby. You may know her as Bevy Smith, the host of Bravo's Fashion Queens or her podcast, Bevelations. But if you don't know the media maven, allow me to introduce you. Bevy Smith is a brand. She's a Harlem-born powerhouse who rose to the heights of the fashion industry by her 30s. But at age 38, she decided to follow a new path. Since then, Bevy's been a TV host, an author, an actress, an entrepreneur. And at 55, she says she's far from done. Bevy is a master negotiator, a firm believer in her own worth, and living proof that it gets greater later. I caught up with Bevy in Vancouver, where she just recorded a TED Talk, We talked about chasing her passion, her love of negotiating, and how, on her search for Mr. Right, she found herself. I think you're really going to love this one. I know I did. I'm Hoda Kotb. Welcome to my podcast, Making Space. My Holder, oh. Holder, you know you're my, like, you're like my goals. I'm so proud of you. Oh, oh my God. No, wait, Miss Ted Talk. You got to leave some crumbs for others, okay? You know what? Every time I sit with you, I feel a different kind of way. But on this particular day, when I sit with you, you are 55 years old. You live your life on your terms. And you describe yourself as a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. Why are you a late bloomer, first of all? Well, I mean, because I think really since like my 20s, people have been telling me that I should be in entertainment. But I was always an advertising person. I was, you know, started out as a receptionist and worked my way up to becoming an advertising executive. And so, you know, entertainment was something that I couldn't really even fathom for myself. And so to then pursue it, at the age of 38, and then to really make it happen. And by the time I really kind of garnered any kind of success in the space, I was like 45 years old. I'd say that's a pretty late blooming. (laughs) (laughs) I want to back us up. Um, I picture you as a little girl, and I don't really know exactly in this moment how I pictured you, like in first grade or second grade. Were you the kid who sat in the front of the class? Were you the kid who sat in the back of the class and cut up? Were you the rule follower? Who were you? Front of the class and definitely a rule follower. To this day, I love rules. So how did that come to you? Was your mom strict? Did she say, this is, it's it's my way or the highway? My parents were not strict at all. They were older parents. Back then it was older. Now this is, it's very normal to have children in your late thirties and things. But in 1966, when I was born, my mom was 38. My dad was 42. That was really very unorthodox. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so my dad especially was very happy to have us. You know, my mom already had one child, my big brother, Jerry. Um, But my dad was elated to finally have children and to have his girls. Um, And so I, I feel like they weren't like lenient, but they definitely wanted us to explore and they wanted us to have a very healthy self-esteem. Okay. All right. So you were a kid. Were you involved in drama, in sports? Did you have a lot of friends? I was um, I was bullied as a mm. kid once I got into junior high school. And that was the first time I ever changed my life. So I, I get into junior high school. I'm 12 years old. And I had been like, you know, like popular in grade school, but you know, in grade school, you're not really popular. It's like everyone's friends. Yeah. And then you get into junior high and that's when the like clicks start. And so I was able to study because I've always been strategic. So I was able to Mm -hmm. study the click that was the most popular click. And I, I understood the formula to be a part of the popular club. And Mm. so then I just applied that formula to myself. And then I also was able to get into that clique. But when I got in there, I was one, I was really low on the ranking. So I just wound up becoming a handmaiden to the, the queen bees of the club. And also, I didn't like that they were mean. I didn't like that they yeah. bullied people. And I was like, well, I'm never going to do that. And then I decided to not go to the same high school that they did. And that huh. was a game changer. Well, you said you were bullied. How? Yeah. Oh, just like, you know, now it doesn't sound so horrible. Like, but, you know, first day of junior high school, I'm like, my mom loved buying us well-made shoes. And this Mm -hmm. is like in the 70s. So a lot of kids were wearing like little tiny like Soul Train shoes, like platforms and, you know, and jazzy colors. And we were wearing striped, right, you know, sensible little shoes. And the girl walks up with the click and says, oh, I like your shoes, girl. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. And she's like. That B word really thinks we like her shoes. And I was devastated. Oh. And I ran and I told my big sister, Stephanie, and she said, don't you worry about it. I'm going to make sure that our parents buy us like cool shoes. How did you take, because I remember being in seventh grade, I remember having a similar feeling. And I remember sitting in the front of the bus and hearing kids taunt me and willing the bus to get to school, just get me off this bus. Because yeah. there's nothing worse than like the the feel, that hot rush that comes over your face mm-hmm. when you know that you're the subject of ridicule. Yeah. And I just wanted it over. I wanted junior high over. Yeah. And you start building up defenses. You know, what were yours? Well, when I got to high school, I put away the handmaiden bevy and I became MC Bevsky. So it was the beginning of like hip hop really becoming really big. Um, and everyone was an MC. And everyone's MC name had ski on the end. So I was MC yeah. Bev Ski. And my specialty was freestyle rapping in the bathroom. I was really good at that. I was really quick and I could like look at something and rap about it. I've lost those skills. I might try and pick them back up. But okay, um, good. But that was like, that was my first kind of foray into changing my life, into taking control of my narrative. So owning it, kind of. Owning it. So when you were that girl, how did you imagine yourself growing up? Um, I definitely, I grew up in a tenement, so I definitely wanted to live in a high rise in Manhattan, of course. And I 
I, I wanted to be an executive secretary because uh-huh. I grew up watching all those old 1950s, 1960s movies where being an executive secretary was the height of elegance, sophistication, sure. and success uh-huh. because you were the gatekeeper. And actually, sure. hold it, as you know, to a certain extent, that's still very true now. That's still the case. <laughs> right, yeah, right? absolutely. They make a lot of money. They're the keepers of the keys. And everyone has to like bow down to them, right? Yeah, it's like the best job on earth. Yeah, you said you said you grew up in a tenement. Mm-hmm. What describe what that means for you? Oh, so in New York City, there's you know, there are high rise apartments, there's um, high rise project buildings, there's um, brownstones, and then there's older buildings that were probably built probably in like the 1930s, and they're walk ups. And they have fire escapes. So that's what you traditionally would call a tenement. So we mm-hmm. we lived on the fifth floor, which is why I have very strong legs to this day. And um, so we had to walk up five flights of stairs with groceries, laundry, whatever it was. That was the way life rolled. Yeah. Okay. So you were looking for your profession in life, what to pursue. Yeah. So what road did you take? Um, I became a receptionist. I didn't go directly to college. I became a receptionist at an advertising agency called Peter Rogers and Associates. And it was an incredible agency. They had Black Llama Mink, they had Vidal Sassoon. Like Mr. Vidal Sassoon would come into the office. Claudette Colbert would come into the office. Cher came into the office. Like it was like heady stuff. Were you like freaking out? Were you like drop jaw? No, because I was a young, sophisticated Manhattan girl. So I, my father always worked lots of magazines into the home and me and my sister were just the, just ferocious readers. And so I knew all these people. I knew all the socialites because we used to read W magazine when it was a broadsheet. Mm-hmm. Um, I started reading the New York times when I was like 13. So, you know, it's a very interesting thing when you grow up in Manhattan, because I grew up in Harlem and for your listeners who may not know, Harlem is a part of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So, for me, my parents always took us into Manhattan proper, if you will. And so I was never kind of, um, you would always see famous people mm-hmm. to this day, as you know, Holden. Yeah, Folks yeah. see you all the time. And it's like, hey, girl. And that's I, the way I, it is, you know? I one time walked behind Jerry Seinfeld for six blocks just <laughs> trying to feel, figure out, like, what would it feel like to be him? Right. And it, you're right. People hardly even looked up. I was so, or every now and then a hey. Yes. But that's how Manhattan folks do it. Yes, that's how we do it. And so when Mm -hmm. I got there, I mean, my parents instilled this really strong work ethic in us, which is no matter what your job is, no matter how allegedly low it is, you do your absolute best. You don't wait to get a great opportunity. Every opportunity that you're given is a good one and you make the most of it. So you did that. So you were a receptionist and you you did it A++. Oh, yeah, I did A++. So I didn't have to take coats. I didn't have to get coffee, but I did all of that because in my life, I am nothing but a hostess. I am actually mm. a barmaid and eventually hold it. I will own a bar <laughs> because I love hosting people in that way. But in my life, that's one of my special gifts. I connect people and I make people feel welcome. Mm. And so when you came into my reception area... You were in my living room. Mm. Welcome. May I take your coat? Would you like coffee or tea? Again, this was not required of me. You just did it. I just did it because I wanted you to be comfortable in my space. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome, by the way. That's great in every profession and every single job. Yeah. We try to do that at the Today Show. When someone walks in, 
It's like you're home now. That's really, okay, so you're doing this job and you do it to the nth, like your folks said, but that obviously, that was not your goal. So how'd you get a break? I had these amazing mentors at that agency and they said that I did not belong up there. I belonged in the back with them learning a skill. And that's when my life began to change. And I went back to school and I went to NYU and One of my mentors, Jeff McKay, started his own advertising agency and he brought me along and he literally said, what part of advertising would you like to work in? And I said, I think account services and media directing because I love to read. And so when you're a media director, you get all the magazines in the world. (laughs) But I also knew I was good with people, so account services as well. And he said, okay. Coming up, more on Bevy's big break. And does she feel like there's still a piece missing? Stay with us. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash space. Just go to indeed.com slash space right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash space. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you ever, because I've been talking about this with all these women I'm interviewing, and almost everyone, including Helen Mirren, Viola Davis, mm-hmm. Rita Moreno, they all say that it, at a bunch of points in their careers, they had imposter syndrome. They don't know I don't know. Mm. They don't realize I don't deserve this. I'm pretending. I, you know, deep down, not feeling worthy that worth. Did you ever have that? Okay, so here's the reason why I didn't have it. Hold on. You did not. This is yes. big. You did not have it. Okay, good. I'm going to tell, tell you the truth, Hold on. Okay, because very early on, I thought the key to my happiness was getting married and getting someone to take care of me. So I went to NYU and I had a career specifically with the reason of trying to secure an amazing husband. Hmm. Because I watched all those old 1950s, 1960s films and I realized that If you have a certain pedigree, then you can attract a certain type of man. So me being an advertising executive, me going to NYU is a nice like little patina there, right? And I can secure this guy. 
And then I don't have to work anymore. And this guy's got to make me happy. So I didn't have imposter syndrome because I wasn't there for the long haul. I wanted to do a good job at my career, but I was not driven. I was not driven. Now, that's interesting that you had that idea of wanting to secure a man. Because to me, we're from the same generation. Mm -hmm. That actually seems like a little bit before us. Yes. You know, doesn't yes. it? Yes, it does. But I told you, it was all those movies I watched. And I yeah. was just like- Yeah, you were into that. I loved Bewitched, the Dick Van Dyke show. Yeah, Dick Van Dyke, yeah. You know, when he would come home and she was in her little pedal pushers, I was like, I want to wear a pedal pusher and wait for, <laughs> you know, him to come home, honey, from the, you know, the architectural firm or wherever he was working. You know, I wanted those things. And you also have to remember something too, Holden. I come from a community where women worked. Women were not fighting to work in Harlem. They worked, mm-hmm. okay? You were fighting not to work, okay? <laughs> that was a good life. You don't have to work. and You can live nice. You see what I mean? So there's the difference. I hear you. 100. I hear you 100. Okay. So there you were, advertising exec. I mean, how high, you, that's called, at one point it was the high life. How high was the life? It was the very high life. It was amazing. That's when media, when print media was a, a king. And, you know, we actually, we worked on the New York Times, um, Fashion of the Times, and like going to all those parties. We we worked with Tina Brown at Vanity Fair. So I was at all mm-hmm. those events and like, you know, I knew all the people. And I'm yeah. from 150th Street and 8th Avenue in Harlem. And I'm like just in these rooms and I'm like, you know, I'm I'm in the mix. <laughs> so you're in it. It was fabulous. So there, there you are. I mean, some would call that the mountaintop. You know, plant the flag. Yeah. You're yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. But that wasn't the case for you. That wasn't the case. I got really very restless. I was very grateful for the opportunities that I had been afforded. And then I was feeling very like, is this all there is? Yeah, what was missing? I think the creativity of it all. Uh, I think there was um, a level of creativity that I was seeking. And it's so interesting that, you know, I didn't want to own it. I think that this is what I went through. Um, You know, you talk about imposter syndrome, and I don't think I had that as much. I had the other thing, which is um, I wanted to be a creative, but because I worked with creatives um, so much, I had so much respect for them. uh, And so I didn't, feel like I could segue into creativity. I felt very strong and solid in my business acumen mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, and strategy and numbers. And, mm-hmm. But the creativity part, mm-hmm. to become a writer, to you know deal in art and all this different kind of stuff, I suppressed that. Mm-hmm. But I knew there was something inkling, a little thing in me. And that's why I kept trying to edge closer to creativity, but still mm-hmm. having me business. Mm, And that brought mm. me to becoming the fashion advertising director at Vibe. And that was like a really great crossroads for me. Well, Vibe was incredible. It brought you to Rolling Stone. I mean, now where was the man? That was what you were looking for. What was happening there? So I was engaged like 2.5 times. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the last guy that I thought I was going to marry, I was 33 years old. And when that didn't work out, after I had kind of twisted myself and contorted myself, my being, to be with him, I decided to do some real, you know, kind of introspective work on myself. And that's when the seeds of changing my life really got planted. Mm. 
Um, mm. And that's when I realized I was going to have to make myself happy. And that was a devastating thing to learn because up until then, I was really banking on the guy to come along and make it all happen. It sounded like your imposter syndrome was in the relationships early on. Yeah. Like you were trying to be someone you weren't. You were trying to be the, the puzzle piece that fit him. Yeah as opposed to who you were. And I guess what, you just couldn't contain that? You tried and tried, but you had to be who you were? I remember telling him, and he worked in music. And so Mm -hmm. he had a sexy career. I had a sexy career. You know, music and fashion, how great is that? Mm -hmm. We would each Mm -hmm. kind of trade off with like the perks of our gigs. Mm -hmm. It was fabulous. And I remember telling him that when we got married, I didn't want to work. And he was like, well, Mm -hmm. that, what are you talking about? I was like, no, we'll get married and I'll have like two kids, and but I, I can't work. And he's like, well, that's ridiculous. And I was like, no, it's not. I said, you know, I just want to raise like, you know, I just want to be in the home. So I, I didn't really actually want to raise children. I just didn't <laughs> want to work. I said, I want to be in the home. And he told me for the lifestyle that we want, we need two incomes. That's not going to work. Uh-huh. He was very forthright. Wow. And what'd you say? I was devastated. And then I was like, a man can tell you the truth, but you will hear what you want to hear. So I was (laughs) like, oh, I'll convince him different. You know, I'll change Uh his mind. And good for him. He knew what he wanted. He wanted someone to be a partner. And I was not looking to be a partner. I was looking to be a dependent. Ah, that's it. That's the boy. That's beautifully put. So you did internal work. What did you, what was revealed to you as you were doing this? Um, that I was far more strong and savvy and capable than I had ever realized. Mm. Um, Because I was doing this career stuff, but without giving it much thought. Mm -hmm. So I was good at it. And so it was just kind of like, yeah, I can do that. Sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, you want me for that? Okay. I didn't really care. And then when I um, had to realize that I had to make myself happy, I had to actually apply myself. And when I applied myself, I was like, look (laughs) at you. Wow. You've been selling yourself short. (laughs) Wow. What a, and that means knowing your worth. Did you always get paid what you deserved to get paid? My mentor was an amazingly generous man. And so that set the tone, right? So when I leave the advertising agency and I go to Vibe, I have a very specific idea of what I'm supposed to be making. And you were not afraid to ask for that. Like that was what you... You know, a big part of my job was to negotiate money. I love to negotiate. To this day, I don't like for my agents and managers. I'm always like, well, did you ask for this? And how? Mm -hmm. what about how can we do it this way? Yeah. Like if I can't get the money... Then give me the time and then give me the back end. Like, I love all that. I like to get in it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So a lot of women don't like to negotiate. And it's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Being able to say, this is what I feel like I'm worth is hard for women. You've negotiated. There are women listening right now, too scared to go in and ask for a raise because what if they say no? You know, not now. It's a terrible time. Yeah. Like, what, what advice do you have for that? For women, I have to tell you this. It is about knowing your worth. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand that if you're valued and you're really good at what you do, if they won't give it to you, someone else will. Mm -hmm. But you have to know that. Mm. And you cannot be afraid to leave and you can't be afraid to say no. You know the way Andy Cohen and I fell in love? How? Because when he was just an executive, before he got to TV, 
he cast me for the Tim Gunn show. Mm-hmm. Now, this is like nothing against Andy. Mm-hmm. They sent me over a contract and I read it and I thought it looked really bad. And then I sent it to my lawyer and he was like, this is really bad. And they were not willing to negotiate. And my lawyer said to me, well, I mean, I guess, you know, you just have to take it. And I said, well, actually, I don't. Yeah. And we turned it down. I was fresh out of Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. So this was my first audition that I had ever gone on, and I got it. And then I had to say no. Wow. And I figured in my mind holder, I figured, well, obviously, if they wanted me, someone else will. Now, here's the cautionary tale. What? <laughs> it took seven years to get another dang TV show. <laughs> okay? <laughs> But what's the lesson? Yeah, what's the lesson there? The lesson is this. Because I didn't get the TV show, I created a business called Dinner with Bevy, which has Mm -hmm. fueled my life and my relationships with celebrities like you would not believe. Mm -hmm. But if I had gotten that job, I would have never created Dinner with Bevy and my trajectory would be totally different. So that so everything you did in between that seven yeah. that job you turned down yeah. and seven years later helped you to become who you are today. Yeah. Wow, that's uh yeah, that's 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 big. Up next, why Bevy says the best is yet to come. It gets greater later. More bevelations after this. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Life changes. Sometimes you're forced to change because of circumstance, and sometimes you choose to. You're working at Rolling Stone. You could have ridden that train. Well, yeah, well, um, yeah. And a lot of people don't, they don't want to switch because if I switch, oh no, oh my God, I don't know. What if it doesn't? A million reasons why it's scary and maybe no. Mm-hmm. Were you scared to jump? No. It was never my intention to stay there. So I went there with a real game plan that I would go there, succeed incredibly well, um, hit all my numbers so I would get my full mm-hmm. bonus. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the year, when I got my bonus, I would quit. Mm-hmm. And getting to Rolling Stone, it was worse than I could have ever fathomed. And my best friend, who's also my business partner now, I used to call her every morning and say, I can't do this. And she would be like, well, you can because you have an <laughs> end date. So yeah. Yeah. stick it out. Because I had a little wow. end date. It was like, yeah. when they give me my bonus check, once I put it in the bank and it clears, then I can resign. <laughs> So there it was. It was time to, to jump, though. Yeah. Did you leave because there was another opportunity or did you just not have anything and you just were hoping? Well, I wasn't hoping, though, Hold that. I just knew. See, I think a hope is like, 
I hope so. But I knew I was made for this. I knew I could do it. You knew it. I just knew it. I was very firm. And then when wow. I got that that job at Bravo, that was the high five. That was the confirmation, of course. And I turned it down and then, okay. But- so how did you make do? Because sometimes after a year, obviously, you had to make a living. You had to do things. You had to take care of business. What did you do in between? I was broke but blissful. That's the, that's the name of that chapter, broke but blissful. Um, I was really broke, but I was really happy. How come? Because immediately I started doing... TV stuff. Immediately, I started writing for major publications. So I was doing everything that I actually quit my job to do. The money just had not called up yet. Mm -hmm. But for me, I believe in the universe, right? So I'm like, well, the universe is actually telling you you made the right choice Mm because everything that you set out to do, you're actually doing it. Mm -hmm. You're just not making any money at it yet. Mm -hmm. But the money Mm -hmm. will come. I really believe that. And so then I had to scale back, um, you know, I'm very candid about this. I had to go to housing court. Oh, you did? Wow. Yeah. Those situations could have been deemed bad, but I mm-hmm. knew that it was temporary. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that also it helped coming from a community where people make do on a lot less. Mm-hmm. So I knew that the money that I used to make, I didn't actually need that to survive. I mean, I never expected to have to go to housing court. Mm-hmm. You know, but even there, Hoda, funny enough, when I'm in housing court, someone says to me, aren't you the lady from VH1? Because I used to do all those like VH1, Fabulous Life, uh, blah, blah, blah yeah. shows. Oh, yeah. And they don't pay you any money, but you're on TV, Holder. <laughs> um, and that's how you build up your reel. And um, so she says, aren't you the lady from VH1? I'm like, yes, I am. She's like, what are you doing here? I said the same thing you are, trying to avoid eviction. But so for some people, wow. that would have been devastating, right? But guess how I looked at it? Hmm. I'm not even on TV on a regular basis. And yet someone recognizes me. That means I'm meant for TV because wow. I stand out. Wow. I'm doing the right thing. Wow. That's, boy, you you do, you keep your eyes focused on the good. I mean, that's it. Because you could look on the other side of the street and see something different. What about when people came up to you because now you, you've lived a fabulous life, you've had all this stuff, and now you're hitting a real kind of rock bottom for you. Hey, Bevy, what are you up to these days? Yeah, I used to go to Milan and Paris six times a year, flying first class, staying at the best hotels, in, in a suite, car and driver the entire time I'm there, heady stuff. So in my neighborhood, people would see me coming out of town cars with all of my luggage and the people helping me and all the shopping bags and all the things. Now, all of a sudden, I'm in this new life and I'm trying to like make a go of it. Mm-hmm. And instead of town cars, there's an amazing bus stop right across the street from where I live. <laughs> and now I'm staying at the bus stop. Mm-hmm. And there's a barbershop on my corner. And one day, one of the barbers says, hey, Bev, Bev. And I walk over and he's like, you okay? I was like, no, I'm great. He's like, you sure? Because, I mean, I see you taking the bus now. I was like, oh, no, I'm changing my life. I quit my big fancy job and now I'm like trying to do entertainment TV and stuff. Yeah. He's like, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Did that not chip away at your self-esteem? No. No. You know why, Hoda? Why? Because remember, 
I'd already gotten that big offer from Bravo that just had no money attached to it. I was already writing for Interview, for Paper Magazine, for Glamour, for Essence. I was on VH1. I was on BET. I was doing all these things. Right. You were busy. Clearly, I was made for this. People just didn't want to pay me yet. But Yeah. So that's why I was never cowed by that. And I really did believe that there's that gospel song, Mm -hmm. Trouble Don't Last Always. And I knew it didn't last always. So I I knew that this too shall pass. Mm -hmm. And it did. And it did. But before it passed, I was able to learn how to hunt and forage and, 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 and build something on my own. I took what was in my hands. I had a Rolodex that was filled with people from fashion and a Rolodex mm-hmm. that was filled with people from entertainment. And I put that together and I created Dinner with Bevy. Do you know how good it feels to create something just off of your own imagination and wow. your own contacts that you've built wow. over the years? Wow. And then it becomes a successful thing? It's, that's incredible when you think about it. That's right. incredible. So when did the money catch up? When did they finally go, oh, okay, it's time. Andrew Cohen kept trying to find different things for me to do with him. Mm. He was doing Watch What Happens Live with Bethany Frankel. So he said, Bevy, can you be a guest bartender? Bethany sees me behind the bar. She's like, Bevy. And so then she calls me out from behind the bar. We're having the best time. It's, It's amazing. Love it. Andy says, after that's done, I think I got the show for us to do together. <gasps> and that show was Fashion Queens. Now, you talk about like fulfilled dreams. And some of them, you, they weren't even dreams. They just happened, it seems like. Yeah. What's still left to be fulfilled? I love that question. And this is what I want to say to all of the ladies out there who are maybe feeling like, and, and it's really a mindset. It really doesn't have to do with a specific number. But if you are over the age of 50 and you feel like, well, that ship has sailed, I'm here to tell you. And you're watching Holden every day so you know she's here to tell you too. It gets greater later. (laughs) At the age of 55, I have just become an actress. I just um, did a show on Amazon Prime called Harlem. I was called in to do three lines and it turned into three scenes. (laughs) And now there's a season two and they've invited me back. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm an actress at the age of 55. Um, I love art, something that's always been my passion and something that I've been talking about doing for a long time. And um, at the age of 55, there's a film starring Mahershala Ali and Naomi Harris called Swan Song that's on Apple TV. And I actually did the art curation for the home wow. in that in that film. And so the next thing I want to attack was architecture. I traveled the world just to see architecture that I love. So marrying my love of architecture um, with travel, with my dinner parties and all these things. And then finally, my goal is to do a fairy godmother TV show Mm. because I'm a connector. That is my gift. I'm a connector. Mm -hmm. I'm a guide and I'm a teacher. And I want to do a show that's like, Shark Tank meets Ayanla Fix My Life. And I'm going to help you get your business started. Love it. I'm going to help you scale to the next level. Love it. Yeah. Brilliant. By the way, that's brilliant. That is so completely you. Right. Now, what about the love piece? Okay, Holder. Holder girl. Mm-hmm. She's, she's um, open. 
She is mm-hmm. single and always ready to mingle. Um, I'm very, very open and I'm trying to be very intentional about getting my great guy. Um, what I will say about that is this. I have a very um, different take on love than I ever have in my life. Mm. And and my take on love is this. I would I want to be in a monumental, respectful, and very loving relationship for however long that lasts and it works mm. for the both of us. Mm. I do not want to be in something just to settle. I do not want to be in something that if we really like each other and we're good together, but there's no um, connectivity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I yeah. want a partner. Yeah. And so that is what I'm I'm looking at. That's what I'm seeking in, in my God. You know, I, I interviewed Viola Davis the other day and she said something that struck me. She has a, a book coming out mm-hmm. and I said, wow, to have an Oscar, to have this, to have that. And she said, let me say something to you and it's very important. She said, do not mistake achievement for healing. Mm-hmm. Those are different things. Yeah. We all can achieve, but the healing is where it all comes. You've had achievement, obviously. And by listening to you during this beautiful podcast, I feel like you've had the healing piece too. Do you feel healed? I do. I feel, you know, I feel this is the happiest I've ever been in my life. Hmm. And because I feel very at peace, I feel very zen. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm in a complete place. This is going to be revolutionary, what I'm going to say. I want for nothing. Mm. I need for nothing. Do you know what it feels like to just be, just even kill happy? Mm-hmm. Just like mm-hmm. grateful every single day. I am grateful mm. for the way my life has turned out. Mm. And my my guy, I always say, my guy is going to be my icing on my cake. Mm. The cake is really good without icing as well. And that's the way I feel. Wow. Bevy, thank you. What a beautiful conversation. Girl, I can't wait. Your TED Talk will be out there for the world to see. The more Bevy, the better. That's what I say. Thank you, my holder. Thank you so much, darling. I love you. I love you more. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening and going on this journey with me. If you like what you've heard, and I hope you do, please give Making Space a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to tell your friends and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Making Space with Hoda Kotb is produced by Allison Berger, along with associate producer Rachel Young and audio engineer Bob Mallory. Original music by John Estes. Bryson Barnes is our technical director. Minna Kathuria is our executive producer, Soraya Gage, our general manager, and Madeline Herringer is our head of editorial. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it, between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are.